Well, good morning, folks. It's a couple minutes past 9.30. I'm going to get started just for the sake of time. And the goal is actually to be, to, to be finished by 10.15. So we're trying to finish uh, Sunday school a little bit earlier just to allow for more time uh, to visit and get ready for the main service. So I'm going to go ahead and start here um, as people trickle in. So this is Christians in the Workplace, Class 7. Today's title, does anyone have handouts yet? I think Jared Carey is printing those off right now, so he may be by in a couple of minutes handing them out. Um, so again, Christians in the Workplace, Class 7. Today's class is called Balance. Christians are not balanced people. Christians are not balanced people. We're going to find out uh, what that means here shortly. Let me pray and we can dive in. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, as we uh, come here now, uh, perhaps from various uh, stresses, busy weeks, Father, we just pray that by your Spirit you would uh, quiet our hearts before you now. Father, even as we consider this topic of uh, being Christians in the workplace, as we consider this topic of our primary and secondary callings. Father, just pray that this time could be helpful, beneficial, fruitful, encouraging, convicting perhaps, that you would uh, grow us to be more like Christ uh, and even use our callings, even our secondary callings, as a means uh, to that end. Uh, help me now, Lord, even as I'm just feeling a little bit tired. Just pray, Lord, that you would uh, strengthen us all now. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so balance. Christians are not balanced people. So balance, of course, is one of the buzzwords of our time. Good people, it's sort of assumed, are supposed to be balanced. In other words, if your life is out of balance, well, something's wrong, and you've got you to figure out how to get it back into balance. So you balance your job with your marriage, if you're married, with your kids, with their sports, with your health, with social life. And if you're really good, it all looks really easy. On the flip side, we all know the punch in the gut that you feel when life uh, can feel unbalanced. So for example, that could look something like this. I need to choose between a date with my wife and preparing well for Sunday school on Sunday morning, and something urgent comes up at work, and it all sort of throws it out of whack. Now, just to be truthful, that didn't happen this week to me. It's just an example of something that, you know, we, we've all experienced that, right? You've already, it feels like you've already got this that you're trying to focus on, and then a wrench gets thrown into that. How do you balance that all out? So... Sometimes as Christians, the number of things we need to keep afloat, or we maybe feel like we need to keep afloat, can feel overwhelming. We're supposed to be faithful church members, faithful employees, faithful friends, faithful spouses, faithful parents, faithful neighbors. And of course, don't forget the importance of evangelism, personal disciplines, discipling, it can go on and on and on when you sort of compartmentalize like that, right? 
feel overwhelming. Well, that's our topic this morning, just dealing with um, sort of this topic of balance. But what I'm suggesting is balance isn't actually what we're going for. This is what we're going to see. As you can see from the top of the handout, the title, as I've mentioned for today's class, is Christians are not balanced people. What does that mean? Well, to start, and we've heard this before in this class, it's something we're going to continue to hear, we have one boss over every calling in our life. One boss over every calling in our life. That's Jesus Christ. We're sold out for him. So Christians are not balanced people in the sense that we don't balance Jesus with anything else in life. Does that make sense? You don't put Jesus off in the corner over here while you're pursuing this calling. In that sense, we are not to be balanced people. So this should be hugely reassuring because as the sovereign God of the universe, he will make sure that we can always do what we need to do. He is the one who is sovereign over giving us our callings, even our secondary callings, which we're going to dive into today. So what this means then is, uh, actually, as Christians, we ought to be decidedly unbalanced for Jesus. Decidedly unbalanced for Jesus. So I'm just going to highlight where we're going to go this morning. We're going to start uh, by going back to the doctrinal vocation. So this is something that we looked at in this class. There's just going to be a little bit of a review on the doctrinal vocation. What is that? Once we've looked at that, I'm going to walk through a few major callings that many of us have. So one of the things we're going to see today is the distinction between primary calling and secondary callings. We're going to walk through some examples and applications of that. So my prayer in all of this is that you and I will learn to be joyful and decidedly unbalanced as we walk and follow King Jesus in our lives. <laughs> okay, the doctrine of vocation revisited. So first the doctrine of vocation, our calling. This is something God has told us to do. So as Christians, we all share the same primary calling. What's our primary calling? Just glorify God. And God has called us to salvation as Christians, right? Our primary calling is to follow Christ. So, for example, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. From the famous Sermon on the Mount. That's our primary calling. So that's why, this is what it, the title is trying to get at, that's why balance in this sense is a bad goal for Christians. You don't balance seeking the kingdom first with seeking other things first. So we aren't to balance our discipleship with other things in life in that sense. So how do we express this? Well, Ephesians 2 we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now these are our secondary callings. So our primary callings were called unto salvation. If you're a Christian here, that is your primary calling. You've been called by the sovereign king of the universe to be a Christian. 
Now our secondary callings, Ephesians 2 describes that as I just read, Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So we do our secondary callings to bring glory to God as disciples of Jesus Christ. So what are our secondary callings? So we're sort of going to start to slice it up a little bit. We've got primary calling, we've got secondary callings, callings plural. Within those secondary callings, there's now two more categories. Number one, our secondary callings are God's clear commands in Scripture. Number two, our secondary callings are his providential working out of our circumstances. So we can think of our vocations, our jobs. And even perhaps, you know, if you're married, if you're a parent, you have children. So are you studying to be a lawyer? Well, at this point, God, you can't say actually with confidence that God has called you to be a lawyer. Your secondary calling at that point is you are a student, right? You're a student. It would actually be presumptuous to say that God has called you to be a lawyer at that point, I would suggest. So our secondary callings are often confirmed looking back in retrospect. I've been plumbing for 21 years now, so I can say with confidence that God has called me to be a plumber. And you could say that about yourself as well if you have been established in a vocation for some time. Or, I mean, even if you're flipping burgers at McDonald's, if you've been there for a month, the Lord has called you to work at McDonald's and to glorify him there. So that's a secondary calling. God's also called you to provide for your family if you have one. He's called you to be a member of the local church. So normal secondary callings then are going to be, be things like this. You, you'll be called to be a mom, a church member, a husband, a neighbor, an employee. You guys following? So we know three things then about secondary callings. First, they support our primary calling. Again, this is where we're trying to get at with being decidedly unbalanced. Each of your secondary callings is an assignment from King Jesus. And foundationally, underneath that is your primary calling to be a Christian. Second, your primary calling is primary. Your primary calling is primary. Without faithful execution of our primary calling to discipleship, excellence in our secondary callings will ultimately be fruitless in the Lord's eyes. So that may not be apparent now, and, and certainly our culture, uh, the spirit of the age will not understand this, but consider this. The guy who gives in to selfish ambition and builds a financial empire looks like he's doing well. But from the perspective of heaven, if he's not doing that for the glory of God, pursuing the kingdom of God first and foremost, ultimately, if it does not proceed from faith, it's sin. These are pretty heavy-duty categories the Bible gives us. Anything not done in faith is sin. Third, we are to use our secondary callings to the glory of God. So Alan has mentioned this. So think about the, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. To the extent that you don't use your secondary callings for God's kingdom, you have good cause to wonder 
if you've ever been forgiven by Christ, if you are in fact in Christ, if you're a Christian, so are you a husband? Well, maximize the talents the Lord has given you in that calling for his glory and for the good of your wife. Are you a mother? Same thing. You're to maximize your talents for the glory of God and the good of your children. An employee, unemployed, retired, whatever station the Lord has you in is the same thing. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Right? All right. Now, do we have handouts now? Is there, is there no handouts? Okay. Uh, balancing multiple callings. So we're going to put this doctrine of vocation to work for us now. How does this help us deal with the balancing act that so many of us find ourselves in? Well, we're going to look at five applications now. If you're taking notes, five applications. And notice I am using that term now, balancing. <laughs> it can be a real thing. Five applications for balancing multiple callings first scripture gives us a minimum standard of faithfulness a minimum standard of faithfulness for each of our callings so how do you quantify faithfulness well i think it's helpful to 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 flip that around and just consider what what does it look like to be unfaithful what does it look like to be unfaithful for example the 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 husband and the father has been commanded to provide for his family Right? So if, you, if you're a man here and you're not, you, you do have a family, you're not providing for your family, the scriptures actually say that you're worse than an unbeliever. So in that sense then, you, can, you can't say that you're being faithful in your secondary callings as a husband and a father if you're not providing for your household. So in other words, this, th th and again, this is a minimum standard of faithfulness that the, that the scriptures give us. So, of course, if you're being faithless in one of those areas, you can't say that you're being faithful. So, first application, balancing multiple callings. Scripture gives us a minimum standard of faithfulness. Second, beyond that minimum standard, scripture gives us responsibility to glorify God. And you can see we're just going to keep on circling back around to this. Consider again the, the parable of Matthew 25. The two faithful servants were counted faithful because they used all they had for the glory of their master. Their work said something about what they thought about their master. So the fact that ha that, that, that one uh, servant had five talents and the other had two talents is sort of I insignificant in that sense. Other than the fact, as I like to point out, it, it does demonstrate that God is not a communist. He's not a communist. He gives five talents and two and one according to his good pleasure, right? So the fact that one had five and the other had two is besides the point. What mattered is that they were all in. So this might feel overwhelming at times, you know, it, it could feel like life is just one um, big, giant optimization puzzle. And we're being graded for how efficient we're being. 
right, with our use of time. That's not exactly what the parable is getting at. The parable demonstrates that the master is a good and kind and gracious master. And the servant who squandered the talent, it was because of what he thought of the master, right? So our use of our talents then is a demonstration of how we feel about God. Our use of our our time, our talents, our energies. The faithful servants wanted to use their talents for God's glory because they knew his gracious character and they loved him. So it was out of obedience because of what they knew about God that they used their talents wisely and even multiplied them. So second, beyond the minimum standard, Scripture gives us a responsibility to glorify God. Third, we have one boss. So again, this is hugely freeing. You will never be in a place where you cannot obey Jesus in the different callings he's given you. Have you considered that? Will you face constraints? Of course you will. Will there be frustrations? Yes. But you need to view those constraints as carefully designed and even executed by your Heavenly Father. So on the one hand, the constraint might be there uh, just to sort of maybe slow you down a little bit and focus on the kingdom of God. So these constraints then, because they're designed by our Heavenly Father, they're not unfortunate acts of blind chance. Just think, it was, there was a question actually brought up in the, the men's breakfast yesterday morning about the way the Lord can sort of mix up our plans, right? So we have certain plans. I gotta get this and this and this and this done today. And then, so Pastor Gavin was talking about anger. Many of you men were there. What's the response often when your plans get messed up? Rising anger, frustration. Well, God is sovereign over all these things. So sometimes faithfulness will mean accepting a constraint as part of God's care for you. And you actually ought to stop obsessing over it. That's what I mean by that application. We have one boss. Fourth, some callings are fixed, some are not. So sometimes we can use the word calling to suggest that God has miraculously revealed some type of calling to us that we're not yet established in. I I gave the example of the lawyer. I mean, it can even be used, there can be sort of Christianese lingo of, you know, I really feel like God has called me to be a missionary. Um, again, I would suggest you, you can use that language with confidence looking back in retrospect, right? You, you, you could say, it's probably better to say, I really want to be a lawyer or I really want to be a missionary. It seems like the Lord has given me those desires. I'm trying to, uh, to get myself qualified to that end, Right? But it's in retrospect that you can say with confidence, yeah, the Lord has called me to this calling. 
because I'm doing it, right? So in that sense then, our s some of our secondary callings can change, right? S some of us will have careers for the same career perhaps for, for maybe our entire working life. Some of us will not. Those can change. On the other hand, if you have a child, you're called to be a parent. So that's an unchanging secondary calling as long as you're that child or your children are alive. Perhaps even more fundamentally, if you're a Christian, you're called to be a church member. So again, I've said it before, the Bible has no categories for a churchless Christian. There's no such thing. Now, to be fair, I have, I, I, I remember actually meeting a really neat pastor down in Montana, from Montana, at a Simeon Trust workshop a few years ago. This man, he had, he had a pretty encouraging testimony. He had been an alcoholic for uh, a good chunk of his life. He just picked up a Bible that he found at a thrift store one day and started reading it. And over the course of a year, the Lord saved him. He had never stepped foot inside a church in his entire life. He was saved. He wasn't a church member. But the more he read the Bible, the Bible talking about being part of an assembly, a church, he, had to, he walked into a church one day. He had already been saved for whatever it was, six months. So you see my point. There, there can be such thing as a non-churched Christian, but the Lord has called us. That is one of our fundamental secondary callings, to be a faithful church member. So sometimes um, we can end up being faithless in a calling that is clear, such as being a church member, because we're unwilling to change a calling that's not clear, such as being a lawyer. See the difference there? You might just feel really called to be a lawyer, and all of your time, energy, your, your resources, you're studying, you're doing this, you're doing that. You call yourself a Christian, but you're not part of a church. Well, you need to, you need to get reoriented there, your priorities. So for the application, some callings are fixed, some are not. Uh, fifth, our goal in our callings is to be counted as faithful. So we sort of touched on this with the minimum standard of faithfulness, the first application. That means that we strive to ensure that we're not faithless or disobedient in any one area. So having this mindset can really help when you're making difficult trade-offs in life. So someone might approach me as an elder of this church, a, a young person who is in school, and they might ask me, is it all right if I take the, the next three weeks of church off because I, I have this big project to do for school? Well, at that point, based on your, depending on your circumstances, maybe you do need to just focus on that project for those three weeks, perhaps. Probably, I would still say, uh, you should probably try to be here if you can, but if you, if, if you really feel like being a faithful student, given the circumstances, given the context, your secondary calling as a student, maybe it's go time, it's exam time or whatever, maybe you do need to do that. There's a difference between that 
and taking three years off of church to pursue being a student. You see the difference? So our goal in all of our callings is to be counted as faithful. Are there any questions at this point? Ellen? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. The call to be a pastor, uh, that, that lingo is definitely used. I think it, often, it, it can sort of often be a little bit of Christianese. I, I would say, generally speaking, there's a lot of mysticism that is very pervasive in modern evangelicalism in our day. So, so, per, so perceiving a call to be a pastor or whatever else can often be sort of perceived as some type of sign from the Lord outside of the scriptures, right? Um, so I know John MacArthur used the, the illustration of a person who really wants to be a missionary and they're walking down the sidewalk and they slip on a banana peel and fall in the gutter and land on a map of Argentina. Oh, I'm called to be a missionary to Argentina. Thank you, Lord, right? So it's, that's all, there's a lot of mysticism there. I would say, generally speaking, that the, the language of calling can be helpful. The two categories I think are helpful are internal calling and external calling, right? So to be a pastor, the internal calling would be those internal desires that it seems the Lord has given you. You have that desire that the scriptures speak of in the qualifications for elders. Does a man desire the office, right? Secondly, a very important one is external calling. So what does that mean? Well, it presupposes that you're part of a local church where you have people around you that love you and care for you and know you. They can see your life. They can see your doctrine. They can perhaps see these growing desires even being expressed, different opportunities you've been given. I would say, generally speaking, with a lot of young men in our day, there can maybe be that strong internal calling but then the external calling perhaps isn't so much there or it just needs more time. But then there can be sort of a chafing and a chomping at the bed and some guys can get frustrated. So internal calling, external calling, external calling I would say is pretty important, right? That's gonna be the pastors of your church. That's gonna be your local members who are speaking into your life. Yeah, I think you actually ought to pursue this. I think that part is often maybe missing. Okay, observations about secondary callings. So as we've noted, secondary callings are different from each other. It's, there's sort of a spectrum of secondary callings. So what does Jesus expect then and how can we honor him with our various secondary callings? We're going to walk through three secondary callings right now. Number one, your calling in the church. So as I've mentioned, every Christian has a secondary calling in the church. There is no such thing as a churchless Christian. Now, it might be puzzling to label this uh, being called to a church as a secondary calling and not our primary calling. There is a bit of a distinction there. I think it's important to maintain. Our primary calling is to individual salvation. 
right? Think about the vertical relationship with the Lord. If you're not a Christian, you're at enmity with God. You're under his wrath. You need to be reconciled to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the primary calling. However, as I mentioned, even with that, that pastor from Montana, once the Lord saves someone, he will bring you into a fellowship. He will bring you into church if you're walking in obedience. And then there is a standard of faithfulness then in the local church. So here at Calvary Grace, we have a church covenant. And our church covenant, if you've been to a members meeting, we, we read the, the church covenant very often at the end of a members meeting. That, what is that? Well, it's, it's simply just a summary of the biblical commands about relationships within the church, the one another's. There's a whole lot of one another's in the New Testament. So our church uh, covenant um, sort of outlines then what faithfulness looks like for our secondary calling uh, to the church. So as 1 Corinthians 12 says, many of us are familiar with this passage, the body is made up of many parts and it needs us all. So God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. That's the illustration that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12. So first observation about various secondary callings. You're calling in the church. Second, you're calling in the workplace. Except in unusual uh, situations or in temporary exceptions, someone in your family has been called to paid employment. What does this look like? Well, 1 Thessalonians 4, 10 to 12 puts it like this. We urge you, brothers, to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This is something that our society um, desperately (laughs) needs to learn. The handout does not help. So your main goal in the workplace is to provide for your needs and your families, if you have one, so that you will be dependent on no one. We don't want to be dependent on the government, right? And, 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 and don't hear me wrong. There's definitely a time and a place for some helps to be sure. But the biblical command is to work and provide for your own needs and those of your loved ones in your care. And as Paul puts it in Ephesians 4.28, that you might be generous with others, even being generous to the church, right? As part of church membership. Now, obviously, there's huge opportunity for faithfulness beyond that, but it's important just to remember, again, sort of a bare minimum standard of faithfulness. You are providing for those in your, in, in your care, and particularly men, right? Husbands, fathers, and so on, as the head of your home. So second, you're calling observations. Second, you're calling in the workplace. Third, you're calling in marriage. So there's one important thing to note about the calling of marriage, and that's what the calling of marriage that's that the calling of marriage acts differently than all the others. 
So think about God's creation of marriage in Genesis 2. Why was marriage created? I'm throwing this out there. Why was marriage created? To, to fill the earth? Could Adam do it on his own? <laughs> Can't do it on his own. <laughs> Josh, you have something to say? Right. In it, yeah, so that's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 5. Even perhaps more practically speaking, Adam could not fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion, right? Cultivate the garden, care for the garden, expand it out on his own, right? Even to be able to have children and so on. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, you need a man and a woman, right? Um, and of course, Eve was called Adam's helper, his helpmeet. That's a beautiful thing. So if you're a wife then, marriage is the lens through which you see all your callings. In every calling, you are your husband's helper. If you're a husband, marriage is something that you should apply to all of your callings. In every calling, you are incomplete without your wife as your helper. Now, obviously, maybe a bit of a caveat. If you're single, the Lord's grace is sufficient. But if you have been called to marriage, that's the way it works. The two become one. So here, here's how the Marriage Core Seminar describes this. I'm trying to remember if we've done the Marriage Core Seminar here. Does anyone know if we have? Can't remember. This is from the Marriage Course Seminar, quote, marriage is not just one area of life to be balanced with others. It's really important. Marriage is the context in which you live all of life. So you approach work, church, etc., as a married man. It's not, the same, it's, it's not the same to say you approach marriage as a lawyer, etc. Married people are not to balance career with marriage, but to approach career as a married person. See the difference. So uh, we're going to talk about this more in the class on gender. I believe the class on gender is next week, week eight. So marriage was never then meant to balance, be balanced with anything else in life. It's a calling that's designed to support and shape all of our callings. All right. I believe this is the last section here. Just looking at the time. Advice on putting all of our callings together. So we're going to take some time now and sort of flesh this out practically. How can we be faithful across all that God's called us to do? Well, there's five pieces of advice here. First of all, know when to say no. Know when to say no. This is a really important one. So we live, particularly in the, in the Western world here, maybe even in Western Canada, Alberta, Right? This is oil country. There's a certain worth, work ethic that's almost um, expected. There's almost a, a, a sort of a rush-rush urgency that can be expected when you work in this city. Um, that isn't necessarily a good thing. So how do we keep this all together then, even considering perhaps being a working parent in Calgary. So work consumes lots of time. Then if you've got children, you've got school activities perhaps. 
You've got after-school activities, perhaps, social obligations. So you've got a packed and crazy life. Now, the Lord saves you. You're a Christian. How do you, how do, you do it all? How can you keep it all together? Well, you can decide, on the one hand, that you're going to try to live with just four hours of sleep per night. That's not going to be doable. As you mature in life, this is one of the things that I've, I've just been finding out over the years, as you mature in life, it becomes impossible to say yes to all the things that you could do. And even more importantly, to say yes to all the things that perhaps your non-Christian peers can do or prioritize. So what I'm suggesting is you cannot be a faithful Christian if you're trying to keep it all together and do all the stuff that your non-Christian friends or peers are doing you, you simply cannot run harder. If you don't say no to some things, you'll run yourself into exhaustion. If you say no to the wrong things, you risk being faithless and ineffective in some of the callings Jesus has given you. So one of the, wh- this is a helpful thing to consider Jesus' do- job description for you, right? We all have job descriptions, right? We all have job descriptions from our our earthly bosses or those over us. So for example, it could be something like this. Prepare patients for MRI tests, right? Or maintain the company's computer servers or something like that. So that's your job description from your earthly boss. What would Jesus' job description look like for you? What does it look like for you? Well, his would be more like this. Make money to provide and be generous. Use your work to vindicate the truth of biblical principles. Reflect God's authority by using yours to serve others. Now, I want to give just a bit of a personal example here. And I'm definitely not trying to pump my own tires here. Just trying to clarify a thing or two. Some people, when they, found, when they find out that I've been, I've, I've been studying part-time for the last five years, working towards... Um, a master's of theology degree, and I'm a, I'm a husband, father, elder, church member, student, a plumbing and heating contractor. They say, oh, you must be like some super, superhero. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> man, if you, if you knew me, some days it's actually amazing that I can get out of bed in the morning. I feel like a weak and weary man a lot of the time. So how did I do that? Well, I just had to learn how to say no, and business-wise, very aggressively so. So, out, you know, you, you go to the plumbing wholesale, you're talking with other contractors. All of the decisions I was making were completely counterintuitive to growing a business. And what I did is I kept everything my, of my secondary callings, vocationally, student, plumbing and heating contractor, within 50 hours. If it's beyond that, the work gets cut out and I'm going to focus on the studies. It's as simple as that. Some people can maybe do the whatever, 60, 70, 80 hours, uh, but probably not in the long run. You've got to cut it out. You just have to learn how to say no. So here's another way to look at this. What have you thrown overboard in your life because you're a Christian? How has your life changed since the Lord has saved you? What's the thing that your non-Christian peers value that you don't? 
and what have you done about that? So again, if you're trying to do all these things, right, that the world says you got to do, and you're trying to follow Jesus, you're headed for disaster. That's not what the Lord has required of you as a believer. So first, know when to say no. Second, take things day by day, but evaluate periodically. So that is, always be ready to seize opportunities to do good. If there's a call in the evening to serve a brother or sister or a neighbor and you've got time, consider doing that. If your roommate is ill and you can take time off to, to sort of stay home and help them, your, your work schedule allows for that, uh, seize that opportunity. If your wife is at the end of her rope after a hectic day and you can get off early, go home and help her. Um, again, living in Calgary, living in the West, I think sometimes we can get so efficient in using our time that we have no margin to actually chase and, and sort of take on these unique and what can be really wonderful opportunities to serve others. We may think we're being good stewards of our time, but in fact, we might actually just be slaves to our schedule. So take things day by day and seize opportunities for good. Also evaluate periodically. So this might be a useful thing once a year, perhaps with a friend or two, a roommate, your spouse if you're married. Look through these job descriptions and consider how you're doing. Is something out of whack? Does something need to be retuned? Is there something consuming a ton of time that's actually relatively unimportant from Jesus' perspective? Be on guard against seasons of, seasons of unsustainability that can become lifetimes of unsustainability. Or a life where those seasons are the rule instead of the exception. Of course, we're all going to experience busy seasons in our lives, but if it's just perpetual, like, that's not a healthy thing. We would do well to heed uh, the counts of Proverbs 23, verse 4. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. It can be a huge temptation. So an annual review uh, time can help us avoid that. On the other hand, an annual review, if you're, if you're more prone perhaps, rather than overscheduling your time and it's just packing too tight, it's ready to burst, on the other hand, you can perhaps, um, you need a kick in the pants because you're prone to wasting time. So a schedule can do that as well. So remember, it's not how much you do that matters, it's whether your life shows God to be worth living for. Again, thinking of the parable of Matthew 25. Reviewing your callings periodically can be a great help in living a life that's faithful. Third, look for opportunities that reinforce your callings. Now I quite like this point. So let's say you're a, you're a high school English teacher. You've got two teenage uh, boys at home. At, tur- at church, you might teach Sunday school, right? You're already a teacher. You've got that skill set. You've got that desire. In your neighborhood, there might be a little posse of boys who are hanging out with your boys, and they actually start to look up to you, so you can actually speak into those boys' lives. There's even a teaching aspect to that. And of course, you're going to be teaching in the home. 
You're going to be seeking to do something like family worship. There's, I think there's a lot of flexibility there with something like that. But there is a teaching role in that. So all those things are very different assignments, right? Father, employee, neighbor, church member. But you can see how all of those assignments, there's sort of an overlap with your secondary callings and with your skill set, with your giftings, right? I was uh, uh, interviewing a young lady at church here a couple weeks ago, and she'd be very inclined to doing nursery, and she even has experience of of summer camps and stuff with with children in the past. And I just told her, yeah, I mean, that's going to make sense for you. We're not going to put you on security, right? (laughs) If you're inclined this way, right, we're going to put... We're going to put the big, big burly dude like Kevin on security. He's good at that. <coughs> so look for opportunities that reinforce your callings. Number four, sell your skill, not your soul. Now I want to be careful with this one because I think this one can be taken wrong. And I don't mean to discourage anybody, but I think it's an important thing to consider. So what does this mean? Sell your skill, not your soul. Well, some people in this city are paid a wage because of what they can get done, regardless of the time. There's a certain skill set that that person has developed, and people seek that out and pay you money for it. So think of it as results-based rather than time-based. Some of us can be really used to just punching in, punching out, right? Just consider a results-based vocation, if possible, rather than time-based. You're selling your skill. Others are paying you for your time. Others aren't paying for you for your time. They're paying you for your skill. On the other hand, some jobs, they're just, you're just simply there to punch in, punch out. And in that sense, you could be selling your soul. That's sort of what this title is getting at. Sell your skill, not your soul. So the more you can be in the first category instead of the second, it's likely you'll have more ability to follow through faithfully with all of your secondary callings, if that makes sense. And again, this doesn't have to be super impressive. You could be the person who over time has developed the skill set to be able to diagnose why foundations leak, right? Why water's seeping in. And, and you develop a reputation as being a very um, skilled contractor in that regard. People are gonna seek you out for your skill. There's gonna be flexibility there. So Proverbs 22:29 says this, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. So make it your ambition then to build a skill that others need. And beware of the myriad of career tracks that can chew you up and spit you out without actually building any real skill. Building a skill will go a long way toward helping you be faithful in all God has asked you. And again, I don't mean to discourage anyone. If you feel like you're in one of those jobs where maybe you are just selling your soul, as it were, again, I just want to reinforce the Lord has called you to be faithful in that calling. But as opportunity arises, perhaps you ought to consider um, moving towards developing a skill that people will pay you for. Last point, number five, keep your eye on long-term faithfulness. So one last piece of advice, Jesus may come back tomorrow, but if he doesn't, in your life, you've been called to a marathon, not a sprint, right? 
I think it was Pastor John Piper who said, you need to find a pace to finish the race. Find a pace to finish the race. So balance, to use the term our world uses, isn't something you just wake up and discover one day. An ability to be faithful in multiple callings is generally something that's built over time as you mature and grow in the Lord. The career that allows a man to spend the time he needs with his church and family, that doesn't happen overnight. You need to even just incrementally work towards that. So the wisdom that fuels a healthy marriage, the skill in discipling in the church and in the home, all of these things are built over time. So if you feel like you're at the very start, you might just feel really young and new to that. I just really want to encourage you. You follow the Lord in faithfulness. He will grow that wisdom in you to be able to pursue those various callings with skill and wisdom. So be patient. Have your eye on faithfulness in all your callings and pray that God will give you the abilities you need to be faithful. So to conclude, as Christians, we're not called to be balanced people. I hope that makes sense now. We're, we're called to be sold out for Jesus. And that means that everything we do, with everything we do, we're seeking to maximize the eternal value of each calling that he's given us. Now, I'm a little bit over, so I'm not going to ask for questions. I'm going to pray. Um, but if anyone has questions, definitely feel free to come up. Let's pray and we'll close. Heavenly Father, there's a, there's a lot here to consider. Father, I just hope and pray that each one here could be encouraged to pursue our primary callings, uh, our primary calling to you uh, as Christians with zeal. And even our secondary callings, Father, we recognize your sovereign hand in all of these things, the way that you have given each one here different skill sets, different uh, giftings, different desires, different levels of energy, personalities, resources. And all these things, Father, help us to uh, pursue being faithful. We want to be those who at the end will be told by our Lord Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, receive uh, your inheritance from your Father. So grant us wisdom, Lord. Grant us um, even the ability to analyze and figure out how we can better uh, use our time and efforts uh, for the kingdom. And even prepare us now for uh, the main service. Prepare our hearts and our minds to worship uh, you, our triune God. For the, We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.